we're back for episode number five, and my goodness, do we have a great guest today. But before I introduce the legend on the other line, I do have a rather unfortunate announcement. You may have noticed that JJ has been absent lately, and he's going to be taking some time off until things clear up for him a little bit. Uh, it's not what any of us hoped for, but a lot has changed for everyone in the last few months. And as much as we both love Potty Train Me, it is far from the top priority in life right now. So I'm going to miss my amazing co-host during this next chunk of time. And I'm extremely excited for the moment that we can do this together again. However, let's not wallow in our sadness because here today is a guy who is an elite journalist and alum of the University of Florida an expert on the National Football League, and my personal favorite reporter on ESPN. He is the Jeff Darlington. Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you on. I thought you were going to say that I'm your favorite reporter, period, which would have made me so thrilled and, and a great way to start this, uh, this podcast because I would think it'd be great to, uh, to not include your father as your favorite reporter and instead stick straight to me. Well, I just want to go full disclosure. I'm actually at home right now, and so I'm technically under that roof for a few more days. So I'm just trying to uh, make my life as yeah. happy but as possible clear, while I can. If we were to record this podcast in a few days, I would, in fact, be your favorite reporter, period. Undoubtedly. Yes. Yes, undoubtedly. But thank you for clearing that up. That is a very important thing to put on the table before we get started, so... I appreciate that. Um, but I got to ask, how is quarantine going for you? You know, I'm well aware that this is an unconventional off season, but I see that you've spent your time on some great fishing expeditions. So I want to hear all about it. <laughs> I, uh, so quarantining sucks. Um, it, it is, uh, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So basically, uh, since, since March, it has just been sort of this, uh, ridiculous like cycle of trying to uh find things for them to do and uh my wife also works from home so we're kind of in this thing together so it's basically been like like buying the kids it started with like buying them water balloons and then they got bored by that and then i bought them like a bounce house that i found on amazon for like 200 dollars, and that was amazing that gave me like almost an hour of like just bliss where I just sat there and didn't have to do anything. And that was great. And then they got bored of that and it, it started to increase. Uh, the purchases went bigger and bigger to the point where I ultimately ended up buying a boat so that we could bide our time on a boat. And, uh, and that, that, that was a bit of an excessive way to try to get through the quarantine, but, but it's been great. And, uh, if there's one good thing I will come out of this this COVID situation with, it will be a boat. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, also, you know, I have to say I'm impressed by your fishing abilities because I went once and I was absolutely god awful and probably won't do it again for a while. I also just want to quickly clarify to everyone that's listening that that's not Scott Disick on the other line. It is, yeah. in fact, Jeff Darlington. Um, it actually, you know, I know that's a common misconception. It is Donald Trump Jr. Actually, uh, that that's the other the other great. I get I get confused for Scott Disick and Donald Trump Jr. Uh, which which that's a hell of a that's a hell of a trifecta, you know. Like Donald Trump Jr. Uh, I actually kind of like Scott Disick in some weird sick way. Uh, oh, I, I love Scott. 
yeah, I can't say as much about uh, uh, as the other one, DTJ. But Scott Disick, I mean, Lord Disick actually has got some – kind of love that guy. Yeah, Lord Disick has some swag to him for sure. Uh, I'm curious, is the Don Jr. comparison, is that off of looks or sound? I think that's looks. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I can tell you it is not based off of political uh, viewpoints. That's oh, well, that kind of surprises me big time. Yeah, I know. People generally think that. They, they well, at that. least I have a good explanation for why your wife fell in love with you now. I mean, looking like Don Jr., who wouldn't want a piece of that? <laughs> That's right. Or, or Scott Disick, honestly, you know? Basically, what, what do the young people think about Scott Disick these days? I'm curious about that. You know, I got to say, full disclosure, I don't really know. My All my Kardashian watching comes when I'm in the house and my older sister puts it on. And I'll admit that I spend more hours doing that than most 21-year-old dudes. But, you I'm know, so I make it work. I thought Natalie was more – I thought she was like more emo sort of hipster than that. I didn't think she was like a Kardashian-watching person. Well, you know, as a uh, as a person who is an expert in the media like Natalie Silver, then you got to immerse yourself in all different genres and – you know, yeah. you got to explore a little bit. So I guess, I guess that's a way of exploring. I guess. I thought she was more of an echo chamber type. I thought she liked to live in a, you know, Cal Berkeley type echo chamber. And I didn't think they allowed Kardashian watching at, uh, at Cal. Yeah. Maybe that's cause when she would come back home to the humble home of Davis, California, she, uh, that was her chance to get it in. So <laughs> I guess. I'll have to ask her though. That's a that is a great great question and something that I will leave this episode with. So, um I mean obviously this year has been crazy. It doesn't look like the madness is going away anytime soon thanks to uh your friend Don Jr and his family. Um <laughs> I mean a lot of plans have been destroyed, excitement has been shattered and traditions have been postponed. You have one special tradition every week of the football season. That you knew I was going to bring up at some point in this episode. Yeah, yeah. the good night tradition is one of the highlights of many people's week, especially in my household. Yes. Um, yeah, of course. And so for those of you who don't know, it's where our friend Jeffrey goes to the top of the stadium after a football game, takes a shot of the field with the empty bleachers, and then posts it with the caption, good night, comma, city for whichever city he's in that week. And first off, I do need to congratulate you for being ahead of the curve on this whole empty bleachers thing. Yeah, way ahead of it, by the way. That's a great point. I really I really set a trend. Uh, I saw COVID coming, and I just thought I'd get ahead of, you know, having no fans in the stadium. And I'd like to point out that what started as a tradition that I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the, uh, the buildup of a stadium and then the decline of it, watching the fans come and then go and ultimately leave this sort of like, you know, empty, quiet, like cathedral that once was full of just, you know, loud, sweaty, drunk people. What started as that tradition basically turned into a tradition of just trying to piss off your dad as much as possible. Because I know that nobody enjoys the good night posts quite like Michael Silver. Yeah, that is absolutely true. I can confirm that statement 100%. I, you know, I was going to ask how and when it started and why you keep doing it, but I think I just got my answer right there. And that is a fantastic reason to keep it going. I actually, you know what the annoying thing about it is? 
So I actually started it when I was writing um, before I became a sellout and just went into TV and stopped writing because as your father will also say, writing is hard and I no longer wanted to use brain cells on that. Uh, so, but when I was writing, like you're the last one in the press box, like you're the last one to leave. So it was always like an obvious thing as I was packing up, I would just take a picture and, and that was the end of my night. But now with TV, it's totally kind of fraudulent because I have to sort of like wait longer for people to get off the field. Cause when you do TV, like you're kind of done pretty much right after There's really not much to do. So, so it's kind of bullshit <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but now I find myself having to wait just for the sole purpose of pissing off your father. And oftentimes, actually, your dad is actually also will be in the same stadium. What he doesn't realize is sometimes when I'm taking my time to get out and he is pacing because he wants to also leave, uh, but he's waiting on me. Uh, I'm actually, I'm just waiting so that I can take that picture. So really what he doesn't realize is that the misery it brings him is actually misery that is not only known, but also unknown. Wow. That is, that is profoundly deep. And I'm so excited for him to listen to that little segment right there and see how he reacts because he either would be laughing out loud. Oh, I know or exactly out like a big groan. I think he's going to use a certain word to describe me and we won't go into what that word is. But I just, I have this feeling that it will evoke an emotion within your father that will cause him to use a word to describe me. Yeah, I mean, God only knows what that word could be. I guess we'll uh, we'll let everyone else listening just figure it out themselves. But, you know, it's, you're, you're one of the co-founders of Sober Super Bowl. Uh, but That's I get the good. sense that that label could be considered ironic for many of the events leading up to the biggest right. game of the year. So do you have a favorite Super Bowl week memory? Well, do you want to know about Sober Super Bowl? Do, have you already discussed this on your podcast? I've never discussed it on the podcasts, but I have discussed it many times uh, in real life. So, But you, why don't you go into it? I want to hear all about Sober Super Bowl one more time from your end. All right. So uh, the Super Bowl was in South Florida, which is where I live. And uh, as you know, your father and I, we spend a lot of time at the Super Bowl doing the networking thing. It's it's a it, incredibly important time to just work on contacts and networking. It's it's basically the convention of the NFL. So you really don't want to. You just have to take advantage of every minute, and that requires late nights. It requires just grinding through work in the day, and then sucking it up and getting back out there. But one night we. We went out and we both had big days the next day. So we're like, all right, we're not going to drink. We're just going to like, you know, every third drink have like a, a Sprite or something. Like just something that can fake it, like almost a placebo effect to feel like you're still having a cocktail. So we do this and the next day we're like, oh my God, like we remember everything. We like had normal conversations. We remember our conversations. We got phone numbers of like you know, big athletes that we, you know, we remember who they were and what we did. Amazing. What a revelatory moment. Let's do this again. Sober Super Bowl. Yes. Sober Super Bowl. So that night we show up to uh, a party at um, Gulfstream, which is like a, a racetrack kind of thing, but there was a, they're renting out for a party and we're all in for Sober Super Bowl. 
Uh, we are waiting to kind of muscle ourselves into the party. All of a sudden, a large hand is placed upon your father's shoulder. He turns around and it is Dennis Rodman, who your father is very close with and your dad wrote his book. And we uh, proceed to follow Rodman, who says, You're, you guys are coming with me. Not but eight minutes later, your dad and I are at a bar and we are hoisting into the air uh, kamikaze shots, which Dennis Rodman loves. And he, we sing this song, it's kamikaze time, it's kamikaze time. I look, uh, this shit will blow your mind, it's kamikaze time. We all cheers. I look over at your dad and he just shrugs and looks at me and just goes, sober Super Bowl. And we slam it down and we probably had eight more within the next five minutes. And that was the beginning and the end of sober Super Bowl. Well, out of any person to run into when you <laughs> vow to take the Sober Super Bowl, person. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Rodman is damn near the bottom of that list, although <laughs> probably super, super fun. So it it's could be much fun. worse. Uh, we we definitely realized that that was um, a fleeting attempt, and we've had many, many good times uh, since, and I would argue that uh, – a lot of our success, both your father and I, if you want to call it success, is actually rooted in what seems like reckless behavior, but is actually very strategic efforts to uh, to build our expansive NFL network. Yeah, take notes, Leslie and Lori, because that is exactly what they are doing. And That's right. they should That's not be criticized point. for any behavior that could be labeled as reckless. Let's be honest. Leslie and Lori are not listening to this podcast, Craig. I mean, I, don't I know. know I feel like Leslie's been a she's been a loyal fan so far. Actually, okay, because I was going to say I I know she's your mother, and that's important, and I I believe that she's your biggest fan. I just, you know, I don't know. I'm I don't know if Leslie's getting 14 minutes into your podcast with me. Well, I think she'll get into this one. I don't know if she's going to get into all the pass it down episodes, but that's a story for another time. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so do you uh, have a way too early Super Bowl pick for the 2020-21 season? I mean, I think like I I think that what used to be the Patriots being the default easy Super Bowl pick and probably the smart pick is now you know, for the foreseeable future the easy smart pick is going to be uh the Chiefs every year, uh, honestly. I mean, I know that sounds cliché, but um, I'm not one to think that, for instance, the Ravens will be the team that sneaks in. And I just, I just think that the Chiefs are a better team. Like, yes, maybe a team finds the Chiefs on a particularly rough day in the playoffs. But um, so I, I got to go Chiefs. And honestly, uh, 49ers feel a little bit like that, too, at this point. Um, it, it would not surprise me at all if we were looking at a rematch this year. Uh, but I'm also really curious to see what what Brady does with the Bucks. So far too early, the easy one, 49ers Chiefs. I think the fun one would be uh, Bucks Chiefs. I think that would be just uh, historic and awesome if that were to happen. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you said it right there. I guess it does sound a little bit mainstream, but it's also tough to argue against a team like the Niners who were elite and so close to winning the Super Bowl. Uh, They did lose to Forrest Buckner, but other than that, I expect them to be pretty awesome and then the chiefs when you have the best player in football who 
seems like he's on track to be the best player for a long time in this league. Yeah. Then it's tough to argue against that, uh, especially because they, they have everybody back too. You know, like I can't believe they even got Chris Jones back. I thought I didn't think that was going to happen, but and that, but you know, also like I guess we shouldn't. You know, what's crazy about the NFC? Uh, flipping back over that side of it, like when you think about it, you to make the playoffs in the NFC, considering that the wild card, there's you know two wild cards, I guess three now. Um. You have to be better than if you're going to make the playoffs. You have to be. You have to look at all the teams and say we are better than either the Bucks, the Saints, the 49ers, the Seahawks, or the Rams. Uh, so, like, that's your starting point because those those are that's just two divisions. Those five teams, and and that pretty much it's hard to say that that two of those teams are not going to make the playoffs through wild card or winning the division. So the NFC feels crazy, uh, crazy dense at the top in terms of the talent. Uh, that's why I think it's like, it's pretty easy to pick the chiefs, but it's pretty hard to narrow down what the NFC will look like. Yeah, totally. I, uh, do you have any faith in my green Bay Packers to have another good season or you think yeah. they're, uh, on the downslope? No, I actually, I do. I mean, I, th- I think that, um, it go, I, you know, and I think they'd make the playoffs just by, they'd be my pick to win the division. Honestly, I, I I'm still more, more sold on them than I am the Vikings. Honestly, I, I just, um, like I look at what they did last year and oh, didn't they finish 13 and three? Is they that, did finish 13 and three. Yes. I mean, it, it feels so forgotten, like, and, and really hated on and like, and it feels a lot to do with like the offseason just because they picked Jordan Love with that first pick, which I still don't understand why that's such a big deal. Like I, I, I think it's so funny that everybody acts like – I mean I think it's stupid that they picked him and they should have picked a wide receiver for Aaron. But the idea that like that suggestion that if you draft a player – what when was he picked end of the first round like 27 or 28 26 yeah 26 so that you picked a quarterback at 26 means that you are definitely replacing Aaron Rodgers one of the greatest of all time with a guy that you picked at 26 like how many quarterbacks have we seen fail that are picked in the first round let alone replace a legend so like the idea that like just because the team picked a quarterback in the first round means that the Packers are suddenly on this like fall that they're looking to eventually replace Rodgers and just move on and rebuild. Like I don't buy that. I don't think that's the case. And I think that they're actually a better team. The shit that they did last year with wide receivers we've never heard of is pretty impressive. So I guess the big question there though, is why they didn't upgrade the position more so that they could, expound on what they did this past year totally and as a fan of the green bay packers along with my younger brother i think our issue with the jordan love pick wasn't so much they took jordan love in the late first round it was that they traded up from 30 to 26 because once they made that trade we're hoping for you know one of those wide receivers or maybe patrick queen or you know somebody that's going to help them win now and instead it's like oh you traded up to get a guy that might help you in the future not yeah. necessarily saying he's going to replace Aaron, but it seemed a little weird to me. But that's and that's what's so weird about the. And I, I'm not saying that that's not the narrative. It, it is, 
But I feel like far there was far more focus. And every time this was a topic on ESPN, for instance, when I was talking about it, I always felt like the focus was like, you know, should Aaron Rodgers be insulted that they they picked his successor? And it's like, well, that's not the story here. The story is not they picked a successor. The story is that they picked anything but somebody who could help him. And that to me is sort of the baffling notion of it. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I think there's a, what, a 20% chance, like maybe a little higher that Jordan Love is good enough to replace Aaron Rodgers within the next five years. Like, it's not that easy to pick a quarterback at the end of the first round. So to me, it's far more what you said. It's about the fact that you seemingly wasted a chance to help Aaron as opposed to pick somebody to replace him. Yeah, and I think with how that NFC Championship game went with them just getting slaughtered by the Niners, it was clear that the Niners were the far better team. And, you know, you hope to see that they picked another receiver or at least someone that could help stop the run. Right. Because you realize that this team alone, while they were great, they weren't great enough to compete in the crazy NFC. I mean, they had to play really, really well in that game against Seattle to win. You know, the Seahawks almost did one of their – classic second half comebacks so but even then, but even, and then they lose jimmy graham and geronimo allison too not that those guys are like overly special but it doesn't even feel like that they replaced them so uh yeah i don't i don't I, I to that point like bringing it back i actually think that they're a really good team because of aaron Rodgers and will continue to be it's just unfortunate that it's going to be so hard on him to uh to to ascend where he needs to go uh, again, you know, it's it's going to be as as difficult as it was last year, even though last year actually was a pretty successful season. Absolutely. Um, I actually got to tell you, my Super Bowl pick, the way too early Super Bowl pick, isn't the Chiefs or the Rams or the Bucks or the Niners or whatever. I've got nobody because I don't think the season can finish wow. with the way things are. I'm just being completely honest. I think unless something changes with the way they can get quick test results or get some serious therapeutics or something. Um, I don't see how it's going to work. And I mean, you might know more about this, but to me, it just seems like, you know, some random player like uh, Andy Isabella is going to get the coronavirus and then he's going to spread that to a whole meeting of receivers and receiver coaches. And then, Oh, they just played the bears and now Mitchell Trubisky has it. And it just, I don't know. It just seems like they won't be able to stay ahead of the curve on this. So do you know anything about the upcoming season and how they plan to work around it? And if you think that's going to work? So I try at this point to like, I found myself being really constantly skeptical and I still am. And I keep trying to like almost move forward and be like, Hey, we're just going to find out. Right. And, and that's ultimately what I do kind of, we're going to, we're going to find out the NFL clearly is charging forward with this. But to your point, I keep, I keep saying like, it feels like every time you can answer one question about like, well, what is, what happens if this happens? There's like 20 questions behind that one. Uh, and, and it just feels like this like really impossible task um, that like what happened with the Marlins, for instance, in like this, the second, what second week of the season, if that uh, like that was bad for baseball. But if that happened in football, in a contact, man-to-man, like you're in each other's faces, sweating, spitting, doing all these things that are just innate to the sport of football, it would have been way worse. So 
I don't know without a bubble like the NBA has how you can ultimately be successful. It seems like baseball maybe has gotten a handle on it. I just think that that same circumstance in the NFL uh, is really difficult because not only is it going to spread easier, but you're talking about in baseball, like you get rainouts all the time and you find a way to reschedule. Football doesn't really work that way. Like I know that the NFL put things in place you know, with the first four weeks of the season that they could like flip things and, and they did schedule with, with deliberate intention, but there's only so much flexibility with an NFL schedule when it comes to making up games. So if it does go off the rails, I don't know how you get it back on the rails. So I guess, I guess I'm with you. Uh, and, and I feel like it's like anything else when it comes to COVID, you can scream as loud as you want that it feels like it's not going to work. but um, but there are those who, in positions of power, who are saying, well, let's go find out. And I guess that's ultimately what we're going to do is find out. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up opting out, too, because a lot of players already have. Yeah. But unless you're well, DeMarcus Lawrence, his wife is making him play to get the money. So, I mean, good for him. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I get it, too, from a standpoint of, like, I do understand why – young these younger guys are sitting there saying like you know like in their young 20s like well i can beat this and it's then it's like yeah but that's not all it's about it's about the spread and it's about the what happens you know when you take it home and all these different factors that are just really difficult to get past um and i think the nfl was also hoping that by this point we would have point of care testing meaning we'd have like almost instant analysis and be able to tell um right away without a uh 12 to 24 hour lag at minimum uh, of finding test results out. But I know like, I love seeing that Yale has come up with the saliva test um, through NBA funding. Uh, I think the NBA has done a really good job of, of getting, you know, taking on a leadership role when it came to doing this the right way with COVID. Um, I'm hopeful maybe that saliva test could help things out with the NFL, but uh but to your earlier point, it's hard not to be skeptical because I understand why we want to try. I just, I just don't understand how it's going to actually happen. It's going to be very interesting for sure what happens. Uh, but assuming that we can play, I actually randomly came upon a get up segment while scrolling through my computer the other day. And you were a part of it where the question was, which of these four aging legends has the best chance to win another Super Bowl? And they were Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. And your answer was, it should be Drew Brees, it should be Aaron Rodgers, but I just can't bet against Tom Brady. Uh, Ryan Clark did not take that well, and neither did I. But now that you're on Potty Train Me, where you can always tell the truth, do you stand by your original answer? Yeah, but it goes back to what we were talking about with um, with Aaron and the cast around him. Like I, To your point, I think that the Packers can still be a good team, but I look at what the Bucs are putting around Brady, and I like, I mean, shit. Like, think about, okay, if Aaron Rodgers was throwing to Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, and O.J. Howard, amongst others, a bunch of guys, uh, like, that seems like the obvious pick, does it not? But but he's not. I mean, are you see, let me ask you this. Are you, you tell me who is your guy? Is it Aaron? 
Well, I want to say Aaron because I'm a little bit biased, but I I will admit that I would take a nothing against Matt LaFleur. He did a great job, but I would take a guy with experience like Sean Payton uh, with the weapons that Drew Brees has. And you do mention the weapons that Brady has with a coach like Arians. That is also going to be really exciting too. So um, if I had to, I mean, gun in my head, if I had to pick, I would probably go Drew Brees just because the Saints have been so close for these last four years and been playing at an elite level. And if their defense can be good enough, then they got a real shot to get to a Super Bowl and win it. So that would probably be my pick, but it's Thank tough. God, by the way. Thank God there's not a gun to your head on this decision. That would be really unfortunate. Like if someone <laughs> literally had a gun to your head and was like, you have to tell me what legend is going to win the Super Bowl this year. You'd be like, this is my life or death moment. Like this is the gun to my head moment. That'd be, God, that'd be, that'd be terrible. Well, I've got a gun to your head question for you uh, because you love our friend Tom Brady so much. So if you're, if there's like an alligator in the water and your kids are like a couple feet from getting to safety, but Tom Brady is about, you know, 10 feet behind or something and the alligator is coming. Do you grab your kids first and make sure they're okay? Or do you just go straight to Tom and then assume that your kids got it? Okay. Do you want me to share one of the great stories that me and your dad like to share with each other that I'm sure you've heard this joke and it's terribly offensive and I'm sharing it not uh, as part of my own material, but simply relaying a, a joke from from John Oliver that he shared once at uh, at Florida State's homecoming. Are is you leading me down Tim this Tebow? path? Are you leading me down this path? Or do I'm leading you down this path? Oh my gosh, okay. we talk about this like probably once a week. So, do do your listeners already know the story? No, they don't. Okay, so. John Oliver is doing his, uh, he's doing a Florida State, Florida's big rivalry. He's doing their homecoming. Uh, and he's up on stage doing a stand up bit. And this is when Tim Tebow's at Florida, obviously, Florida State's big rivalry. And, he, and John Oliver stands up there and he says, uh, I hate Tim Tebow. I hate Tim Tebow so much that if I was in a room with Osama bin Laden and Tim Tebow, and I had a gun with one bullet. I'd kill Bin Laden. I'm not a monster. But if I had two bullets, I'd kill Tim Tebow first. Which is one of the greatest, <laughs> most brilliant lines. And so incredibly harsh. But also, oh my God. If I had two bullets, I'd kill Tim Tebow first. And it is one of the great lines I've ever heard in stand-up comedy. That's unbelievable. What? Yeah. Uh, so how can I translate that to, um, would I save, I would save my children. I would. <laughs> well, I know that must have been very hard for you to say, but I'm, I'm proud of you for taking the high road. But if I had two boats, I'd save Tom Brady for <laughs> Uh, wow okay well the first time i ever met you i showed you that south park episode where cartman goes to teach the underprivileged students how to cheat and he He uses as his role model so do you ever think about showing that to your friends tom and bill i uh i do love that the first time that i met you you reminded me of this little version of your father i think you're pretty young how old were you at that point it was like 10 years ago probably yeah, I want to say like 12, maybe. 
and you come like waddling over to me, just like your dad, same mannerisms. And you're like, you got to come watch this show, you know, be a Belichick. <laughs> and you and your dad were like chuckling with each other. And it was like this weird, surreal, trippy moment. Do you know that your father, speaking of um, just, just him, just how obnoxious he is. Uh, <laughs> uh, one time someone described your father the best way possible. Your dad was at uh, my wedding. And one of my friends came up to me the next day and he was like, Mike Silver. And he goes, I'm like, yeah, he goes, when I met Mike at the beginning of the night, I met him and thought to myself after like two minutes, I thought, this is the worst person I have ever met in my life. (laughs) And he goes, and by the end of the night, I was hugging him thinking to myself, this is the greatest person I have ever met in my life. And that is the perfect way to describe your father. He is terrible at first impressions, <laughs> but, but he is amazing at forcing you to ultimately wind up liking him. It's just, it's, a, it's an amazing art. He has mastered the art of being obnoxious. Wow. Okay. Well, if I have a lot of the uh, same mannerisms as him, then I'm going to make sure everybody I ever talk to, I go for at least five minutes. Now, I will just say that that is the, that was the 12 year old version of yourself. Surely you have, you know, uh, matured and become more sophisticated. Uh, Your father reminds me of the 12 year old version of yourself. Not Ah, Okay. 20-something version. Well, to quote uh, Filter, hey, Dad, what do you think about your son now? (laughs) So, what do you think about college football? Do you think there should even be a season at all? I mean, the NCAA is such a mess right now. I don't know. You know, it's so funny. Like, um, it feels to me like – it's so funny because like the big 10, it felt like they did the responsible thing and ultimately look like the biggest idiots as a result. Um, and maybe that history will eventually come to be on their side, but it's, it's like, for me, it feels like the NCAA put themselves in this situation by not paying players earlier. Because for me, this is sort of checkmate. It's kind of like you, the NCAA, have said all along that what you give student athletes is an education and a and a place to live and all these things. Um, how can you tell students that they can't come back on campus, but you can tell the athletes that that it's time for them to report back on campus, but not pay them? So to me. If they were paid, I think it would be a lot easier for them to justify the ability of putting them in harm's risk uh, or in harm's way. Um, I think it's really difficult for them to do so and not look extremely hypocritical and um, and quite honestly, like just negligent. So whether they should or shouldn't have a season I would I don't really want to be I wouldn't want to have to be the one to make that decision but I do think that having a season when students generally are not allowed back on campus um I think that that's that's a pretty hypocritical notion 
I'm so glad that you said all that because I couldn't agree more. I saw something yesterday that said LSU is going to lose $80 million without a football season. And people are like, well, that's telling me that their players are worth $80 million. And I'm like, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I basically, since I started doing like real research freshman year of college, I've been definitely an advocate of pay the players Uh, especially in the big sports like football or like, you know, the Zion Williamson's of the world. It's like nobody's buying the cool new Nikes because Mike Krzyzewski is such a hot shot as great of a coach as he is. But, but also, yeah, but I, and I don't know, you know, I don't know. There's gotta be a way to do it. And it's like, this shouldn't be. So it's, it's weird because it shouldn't have to be a conversation about how you pay the players. Um, It should be a conversation about how you keep them safe. But it's really hard at this point to have one conversation um, without having the other, and it it feels kind of weird. But but it's also um, you know shit. Like it's like the NFL. Like these guys are like, well, I'm going to go make millions of dollars. Like yeah, I'm going to go take the chance. But if you're a college athlete, you know, I also kind of I but I you know, and I also agree with Trevor Lawrence in the sense that a lot of these guys are better off on college campuses than they are at home, uh, and that's cool. But that's still just trying to justify having a season. It's trying to come up with an excuse to continue to have football. And to me, the bigger Travis tragedy here is that um, that we're having to have that conversation. We're trying to find ways to incentivize college athletes to put them in a situation where they're comfortable enough playing despite a global pandemic happening around them. Yeah, totally. I think uh, obviously safety is the most important priority but like you said it's kind of hard to deal with the safety issue and the money issue at the same time and it's definitely a mess for sure um you know we'll see if there's a spring season but i don't know it's uh it's tricky but the spring season thing seems ridiculous too by the way because you also keep the idea of like saying like player health and safety there too and then having basically a full spring season and then like two months off and starting another season like that's not great either. So it's all bullshit. Like it's all, there's no player health and safety is not at all on the forefront of any of these, you know, old big money, good old boy college football network. It's just not, that's not what they're thinking about. Yeah. Unfortunately you are absolutely right about that. Um, and while we're on the topic of college, uh, I was actually informed that you were inducted into your fraternity hall of fame and I actually want to bring in a guest right now. This is the youngest silver, Robbie Silver, here hey! to ask a question about that. So, Robbie, say what's up. Well, Greg, thank you for having me on. And Jeff, first and foremost, I just want to congratulate you on this huge accomplishment. You have every right uh, to be proud of yourself. And um, <laughs> I only have one brother. And I feel like we have a pretty deep bond, but I can only imagine what it must be like to have you, hundreds and hundreds of brothers. So, Robbie, Robbie, you. Robbie, do you have to pay for your brother? I don't. That's amazing. I had to pay for my brothers. Can you believe that? Well, it's a price worth paying. And, <laughs> Jeff, I hear that there is a great story about you getting inducted into your fraternity's Hall of Fame. Well, and I would love to hear about it. I think that we're overstating it, but that's okay. I understand we're doing this for the, uh, I, I, I'm fully uh, capable of being part of this. But yes, 
I don't know what what it was exactly that I was being honored with. And I actually don't know which story you're asking me to, <laughs> to tell. I'll stick with the one that I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> which was just ultimately that I uh, missed. I didn't miss it. I guess I was supposed to speak at something. And I ended up going to the swamp bar and and drinking too much and uh i think i missed it i I think i showed up but decided not to engage in whatever tradition i was invited to do but uh but yeah we really can't tell the other good story (laughs) the good story that goes along with this let's just say uh i don't know that i was necessarily as celebrated leaving as i was arriving Ah, uh, well, I mean, it sounds like you took advantage of the time you had there for sure. I mean, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. <laughs> I would, Robbie. I would. So uh, any of you listeners who are going to the University of Florida and want to rush, uh, what is it, Phi Delta Theta? That's right, Robbie. You really, you got your Greek, le- how much did you have to study this up to get your Greek letters down? Well, that was actually Greg who named the fraternity, but if you want to give me the credit, I'm not going to complain. Look, don't you little silvers, we already outed you with the Kardashian stuff. You acting like you're all these, you know, super emo hipsters, okay? You watch the Kardashians over there in the silver household. Let's not act like uh, the Greek life is uh, is so far away from your uh, your hearts. You know, that is a very, very fair point. And uh, Robbie will be entering his freshman year at my school. So we'll see if he takes the Greek life route. Exactly. <laughs> I, have a feeling, I have a feeling I know the answer to that. Well, that is great, though. Are you guys going to live together in Santa Barbara? Um, no, Greg has his own place, but I'm going to be God. in a single dorm. A single dorm. Oh, yeah, it's a great right. way to start college, huh? Nice little COVID restrictions yeah. and everything. Robbie, I think you should probably buy some friends and join a fraternity. <laughs> I'll need it. <laughs> yeah, you don't and get any one, part of my crew, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and maybe one day you too can be inducted into the Hall of Fame of your Greek letters of choice. <laughs> and then you won't be as celebrated leaving as you were entering. <laughs> you could follow in the footsteps of this legend. Yeah, so... Before we get out of here, um, we got a couple little fun segments, especially now that I have uh, another person by my side. This first one uh, we're bringing back from episode two. It's called Every Slap Tells a Story. And we love music. We love all types of music, except like country, I guess. But, you know, we like to uh, apply lyrics and songs to the sports world. So I'm going to go first and... Uh, the Counting Crows are a great Bay Area rock band that That's my right. parents love. I'm going to take one of their favorite songs and apply it to this episode, actually. It's called Goodnight Elizabeth. But instead, <laughs> picture me going to the top of the recording yeah, yeah. studio with yes. nobody in there and just a bunch of instruments. Right. And then I post it and I say, Goodnight, comma, Elizabeth. Right. So that's what? my Robbie, you got one? I actually do have a slap. Um, it's called Before He Cheats, and it's by Carrie Underwood. <laughs> and Jeff, I know you're a big Tom Brady fan, so I thought it was pretty fitting. I think, you know, Tom Brady has obviously had a scandal in his past, Deflate Gate, as well as the Patriots. Um, 
there was Spygate, and then last year they were caught filming uh, the Cincinnati Bengals bench. Not that Tom Brady explicitly took part in those scandals, but nonetheless, I think now that Tom Brady, he's in a new city in Tampa Bay with new coaches and under new management, and I think much like Carrie Underwood's ex-lover after she decides to take out her anger by destroying his car. Maybe Tom Brady will think next time before he cheats. Wow. That's, that is poetic and uh, symbolic and just, just brilliant. Just brilliant, Robbie. What can I say? Yeah. I mean, Robbie answered the call undoubtedly. So, um, and then finally, uh, Jeff, I'm going to start with you on this one. We end every episode with something called shout out to, you can shout out, Anything you like in the world, it could be completely sports related or it could be the most random thing possible. But do you have any shout outs in mind at the moment? I'll go. I'll give my shout out to to Leslie Silver for. Oh, nice. Now she's definitely listening to the episode. For her, uh, you know, for just first of all, being. I feel like your mother uh, entering into the field of psychiatry, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, clinical psychology. psychologist. Yes. I believe that that is rooted in, uh, in her decision to marry your father. Like, I feel like ultimately she did that so that she could better manage the person that she married. And her patience is just beyond, uh, it's unimaginable to be quite honest. So I'd like to give my shout out to a person who seems like the second coming of mother Teresa, uh, who has managed to raise seemingly decent. I'm not going to say normal, but humans while under the same roof as one Michael Silver. So shout out to Leslie Silver for, for just being a saint. Wow, that is very, very kind. I know she will be honored to hear that. And I couldn't agree more that her decision to go into psychology was rooted in her marriage decision. Don't you agree? Yeah, and you got it spot on, Jeff. I think that it takes an extremely patient woman to put up with my dad and her three annoying children as well. Not to mention yeah. the annoying dog. Well, oh, yeah. Not, 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 not at least fine. Two annoying children. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Natalie's Natalie's okay. She's just watching the Kardashians or something right now. Um, yeah, exactly. So, would you like to go first or second on this shout out? I'd like to go first because I'm really eager to get this out of the way. But I would like to give my shout out to a natural sleep aid. It's called <laughs> melatonin, and yeah. I think melatonin it gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I've heard people say that it's a placebo and it doesn't have any real effect on you. I've heard people say. It's not worth it because it makes you groggy in the morning. But honestly, melatonin allows you to have a sound quality sleep. And whether you want to admit it or not, it works. And let me tell you, throughout quarantine, I've had a lot of days with very limited activity and no substance. So I would have no reason to be tired at night. But I take melatonin and I fall asleep within 30 minutes. And it's allowed me to have a stable sleep schedule. Wow makes me a happier person during the day. So shout out to Melatonin. Wow, what a great testimonial and quite honestly, one of the great ad reads of all time, despite the <laughs> fact that you weren't advertising anything specific. 
Yeah, I'm going to completely agree with Jeff there. But here's my thing. If people, how is being at placebo a criticism? Like, that's just the equivalent of doing nothing. So why is that so bad? Well, I just want melatonin to get the credit it deserves. You right. Know? No, I agree. I agree that. And also there's, like, I pump my kids full of melatonin and society says that I shouldn't. And I think that's absolute garbage too. I'm not giving them Benadryl. Melatonin is a natural substance, you know? And I don't think it deserves the hate that it, it gets. Thank you, Jeff. My shout out, uh, I know Robbie knows about this. Jeff, I think you might know a little bit something about this too. So my shout out uh, actually doesn't go to a almost MVP quarterback from last season because everybody needs an alter ego. So I would like to give a fine shout out to Mr. Unlimited. Love it. Was that yeah, it? You got you to gotta be unlimited. That was so, just, that was, that was it? Like that was... Yeah, that was it. What's what's wrong with Mr. Unlimited? What do you mean that was it? <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, unlike what? my counterpart here, I don't need to do a whole ad read. Uh, yeah, no, that was good, though. That was, that was good. Uh, oh, what good. a weirdo, huh? Yeah, definitely, definitely a weirdo. <laughs> saying, by the way, I'm not saying Russell Wilson is weird. I'm saying Mr. Unlimited is weird. Oh, Mr. Unlimited is totally weird. I don't know anything about Russell Wilson. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, that's pretty much gonna wrap it up for us today. Jeff, thank oh, you for inviting time. multiple members of my family as you regularly do. Yes, thank you for uh for having me and uh and I hope you guys are back in, in school and you know rushing a fraternity sometime soon. Yeah, I mean I hope so. Uh also big thank you to you, Robbie Silver. I seriously think that Cloudy or one of those melatonin vape companies should consider sponsoring you after that read. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks again, Jeff. Uh, and I'll actually see you next Tuesday. Just remember to bring a mask and lots of hand sanitizer. Yes. I'll see you next Tuesday. All right. Sounds good. Take care, everyone. We'll be back for another episode soon.